You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. It is my favorite thing to read the scriptures with you guys. So turn with me or follow along on the screens to our focal passage this morning, which is in Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That's the word of the Lord. You can have a seat, and the kids can be dismissed to their class. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, My name is Scott, one of the pastors here. Uh, Glad that you are with us today. Uh, real quick, this one, this passage, it sounds like a lot of fun, I know. Uh, the, the first point is like more than like half the sermon. So if you're keeping time, all right, second point is shorter. Third point is like pretty much the closing, all right? So if you're getting worried, sweating it out, uh, that's what that'll look like today. If you would, join me uh, in prayer as we dig into today's focal passage. Uh, Father, thank you for today. Thanks for this morning. Um, thank you that you are a God who loves us enough to teach us and also to warn us against things. Um, that you're not just a God who uh, wants to make us feel fun- fuzzy and warm and all the things, but you're also willing to, to say some hard things to us and tell us where not to go because you care about us. And so, Father, I pray that um, as we talk about what you might warn us against today, and what we get to hold fast to and the fact that you hold fast to us. Uh, I pray that you would stir up in us maybe conviction of sin, maybe a desire to repent and confess, maybe uh, some comfort, maybe you give us comfort uh, for places that we are suffering or hurting or confused. Whatever you wanna do in us this morning, God, please, by your spirit, would you do that? Would that shine through uh, in the words that I say today uh, and most importantly in the gospel of Jesus Christ that is good news and why? We all come here and stay here and what we enjoy so much about you. Uh, Thank you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, last year, our family joined uh, a little local pool for the summer. Um, Went a ton. Our kids are like little fish. They love love the water, and that just gave us a place to cool off and hang out in between summer camps and uh, all the things that kids do in the summer. And there was a lifeguard uh, there. He was awesome. Like, he was the best. We love that guy. Uh, friendly. He, like, loved the kids. He paid attention to stuff. He didn't let anybody, like, be idiots in the pool. Um, but he also knew that, like, we were all there to play and that we were there to have a good time. It was great. And so when he did say something, like he spoke up and said words, uh, people listened because they knew he just wasn't trying to be a, a killjoy. Uh, they knew that he was just trying to keep people safe, which is 
important because people aren't having fun at the pool if they're getting hurt uh, or whatever. And so we love that dude. So this year, uh, we, we re-upped our membership at the pool, and it was like the first or second time that we were there. Uh, and some new guy was lifeguarding uh, that day. So we, whatever, found a corner, put our stuff down. Uh, kids hopped in, started playing. And within like a minute of us being there, the lifeguard like chirps his whistle. Um, and was like, hey, like, you guys got to make sure that you're, you're jumping away from the edge of the pool, right? Don't jump towards the side, jump away. Don't want anybody banging their head or whatever, which is fair. Like, we have to tell our kids that sometimes as well. That's fine. Go back to playing or whatever. A minute or two later, uh, another whistle chirp. Um, hey, like, you guys can't be underwater for more than five seconds. Like, Kel and I look at each other like, what? What is, I start counting in my head five seconds and I'm like, that's like a breath or whatever. Like, I'm not sure our kids were like, what, what is happening right now? I think they were just as confused as we were. Surely that's not what he said, but, but sure enough, like the next minute, like he gets out of his chair, he walks around the whole length of the pool and he like kneels down next to the pool where our kids are. And he's like, hey guys, like I really need you to not be under the water for more than five seconds. Could you just count when you're underwater to five for me? And Look, I'm a rule follower. Uh, I respect authority, but I have never heard this rule in my entire life at the pool. It seemed a little extreme, but I, but I backed him up. I backed him up with our kids. I reinforced his rule uh, because at the end of the day, like he's in charge. He gets to make the rules, even if I think his rules are stupid, right? But, but I was also clear with our kids who were like, who were very confused and a little bit like, dude, they don't like to be called out or get in trouble or whatever. I was like, hey, you're not crazy. Uh, this seems a little much. Um, you don't need to feel bad or whatever. But also, if you want to swim today, this is what that's going to look like, which is, that's not fun, right? That is, that's hard for kids to do when they like to like you know, swim at the pool. Uh, and when one of their games is, how long can I hold my breath underwater, Right? <laughs> kind of nixes that one right off the bat. But, but I gave this guy the benefit of the doubt. Like he, he was just overzealous about pool safety and that's his job. I want my kids to be safe, uh, just not to the neglect of like why anyone comes to the pool in the first place, which is to enjoy themselves, right? Like we, we don't come to the pool to cheat death for a few hours. We come to have fun. Like that's not what we came or stayed or whatever. Following Jesus can sometimes feel like you are a kid trying to swim in a pool with a bunch of different lifeguards, except everybody's got a whistle. Inside the pool and outside the pool, inside the church, outside the church, and the rules for what it means to follow Jesus are just like all over the map. Some folks think it's fine to like hit strangers with pool noodles, right? And they'll blow the whistle on you for blowing the whistle on them. And some people like blow the whistle on everything because everything is scary. And some people like me, like when they're at the pool, they just want to sit and read their book and be left alone. So they will never blow a whistle in their entire life, right? That's just what that looks like. In the midst of the, the crazy, we might forget what the rules even are, what the heck we're supposed to be doing, why we even came to Jesus or the church in the first place. What are we doing? Today, Paul talks about people who blow the whistle on us about our faith for reasons that like miss the point of our faith, why people come to Jesus and stay with Jesus and enjoy Jesus. And it's impossible to avoid them or to just tune them out. We have to learn to swim in the pool with people blowing whistles at us and around us for good or for bad. And we have to learn to tell the difference between the people who get it and the people who don't, and remind ourselves of what is actually true. 
The main idea this morning is this, that living in Christ means rejecting counterfeit Christianity. That's our main idea today, and we'll start by looking at the first couple verses in our passage. Uh, Colossians 2, 16 through 17. Paul writes this, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to uh, a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Our first point today is that it's not from Jesus just because it sounds Christian. Uh, Last week, we talked about counterfeit money, uh, people who handle money on a regular basis, like cashiers, bank tellers, whatever. They're supposed to be trained on spotting fake bills, fake money that people try to pay with or deposit or whatever. And there are two ways to train someone, and both matter. First, like you got to teach people what real money looks like, what it feels like, the security features that are printed or woven into each bill. If you know the real thing, then there's like really only one of those things, and it's easy to spot what the fake ones are. Second, you got to warn them about the counterfeit stuff, like what, what that's like, things to look out for, things that might give counterfeit stuff away, what it's printed on, right? The ink or the watermarks, that kind of thing. There's always some new way that people are trying to like counterfeit money, but it's good to know what the, the common fakes are out there. And the same is true about our faith. You and I, like we are constantly being handed stuff to either accept or reject by the voices in our head, by the voices that are around us, by the experiences that we have all trying to tell us what's really true, what, what things mean, what's good or what's bad, what something says about me or that person over there or the Lord himself. Whatever our brain is offered as an explanation to, to fill in the blank, that is something that we either accept or we reject even if we don't know that that's what we're doing. And so Paul, the guy who was writing this letter that we're reading, um, he knows that people are, are good at making great points about really bad ideas. He literally says that crazy ideas can sound plausible. Junk food can taste really good, right? Junk beliefs can also taste really good. The church that he's writing to in Colossae, it is surrounded by old religion and new spirituality. It can't avoid counterfeit ideas, and, and neither can we. They are put in our hands, they are put in our heads, and we have to learn to be able to tell the difference. Which lifeguards to listen to and which ones maybe we shouldn't. So Paul trains us. Last week he, he taught us a few security features of the gospel that's printed on the real thing so that we know what it feels like. And this week he is warning us. He's given us a heads up on how counterfeit faith and false hope can slip their way into our faith. And so he's training us so that we can sniff that out. And this is one of the biggest things I want to drive home this morning is, is that this is on you. <laughs> this is on all of us, not the gospel. The gospel is not on us, but being able to sniff out the false gospels. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you. He's talking to us like we have to not let people do that. And now we can take that the wrong way. He doesn't mean not letting people have opinions. <laughs> people are allowed to think and arrive at conclusions and make judgments about stuff, even say them out loud. And some of those might be about you or about maybe some of the things that you actually believe. Paul's not telling you to fight them. He's not telling you to tell them to, to shut up or to like try to prove them wrong or persuade them that you are right. We can't stop people 
from judging. And Paul, who's been whipped and humiliated and lied about and imprisoned, he would agree with that. The most impressive thing about Paul, like it's not that his body endured so much, but that his soul did. He refused to believe the junk that people thought about him, the judgments that they passed, the stuff that they made up, the real stuff, like rounding up Christians to kill them and put them in jail. He did that. Like the trouble that followed him from town to town. If we accepted as legit just a tiny fraction of what Paul heard people say to him or about him, it would wreak havoc on our hearts. But in Christ, like Paul, it doesn't have to. You can't stop people's judgment from passing their lips or from passing into your ears, or maybe from passing into to other people's ears. Maybe not even your brain, but, but you can stop judgment from passing into your heart and making a home there, whether it's for stuff that you didn't do or for stuff that you did do. If you're in Christ, like your heart belongs to Jesus now. It is his place. It's where his spirit lives. Christ has filled you. There is no room for condemnation anymore. His presence is like chlorine for that stuff, all right? Like in a pool, chlorine like breaks down germs at a molecular level. Jesus breaks down every accusation that could ever be leveled against you. Paul is telling you, don't let people's judgments pass into here because your judgment was passed on, broken down, and killed in Jesus. Reject the rejection of false gospels that people preach to you. And that's the core of the gospel, acceptance. Acceptance of suffering sinners, not first by people, although the, the church gets to embody that in some way, but first by God. Like God's forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it all aside, nailing it to the cross where Jesus died in your place for your sin. You get God, you belong, you're free, and you can't lose. We talked about all this stuff last week. Any judgment that people pass on to you, right or wrong, has already been passed by the cross. It's already gone there. So we get to let every voice that we hear, every thought that comes to our head, every gut reaction to every whistle that gets blown at us, we get to let that pass by the cross too. And I will gladly tell you that every Sunday I get to be up here. I'll tell you that over the phone and over coffee, but you've got to tell yourself that. You've got to do your own pool maintenance, right? The, the gospel's not just someone else's belief about you. You get to believe that yourself, about yourself. You get to preach it to yourself and, and don't tell yourself cheap knockoffs of this. That's not the same as, as not caring what people think. That's not the gospel. We don't reject rejection because we are unique and nobody gets us, all right? That's not a thing. Or because everybody makes mistakes or, or we're working on ourselves. The freedom from judgment that all of us want isn't found by looking at us or looking at other people. It's found by looking to Jesus. And this doesn't mean that, that we get to like write off any criticisms or any critiques or concerns that people have about us, all right? Uh, Pastor Michael gets to talk about this stuff next week, but Paul doesn't say, don't let anyone pass judgment on you ever for anything. That's not what he says here. Like, if, as if no one's allowed to like ask you a question if you're flying off the handle, right? Or if you ghost everybody, or if you're sleeping around or getting wasted or being stupid, like that stuff is not in line with the way of Jesus. There is 
away of Jesus. And it doesn't include condemnation, but it does include conversations and, and confrontation and conviction. Like good lifeguards, good brothers and sisters in Christ will care enough about you to pay attention to your life. Not as narcs that are trying to like get you in trouble or whatever, but as people who love you too much to be okay, not to not be okay with you going off the rails. That's not passing judgment. That's not wanting you to live under the weight of, of guilt and shame or just the real life consequences of really dumb choices. Weight that you don't have to carry when you are living under the grace of God and weight that you can avoid if you walk in the way of Jesus. What Paul says is, is don't let people pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink with regard to, to keeping festivals and new moons and Sabbaths, specific things that like just kind of lump into old religion, just how I'm referring to voices of the day who sound religious. They sound godly, they sound Jesus-y, but, but they miss the point of Jesus and ultimately reject him and his acceptance of you by grace alone. Those voices for the Colossians, those were Jewish voices who have similar roots as the church, the same Bible, the same Old Testament, and, the, and they say they're following God's way better. They, they read the same verses, they talk about the same stories, they sing the same psalms, they quote the same proverbs, and the church says that it's all foreshadowing Jesus, right? Like all the festivals, all the traditions and laws of the Old Testament were shadows of something better looming in the distance, and we're no longer waiting around to figure out what that is. That's Jesus, right? He is the substance. He is the point and the purpose of all of this. He's why we're here. He's why we're staying around, and he's what we're here to enjoy, but these Jewish voices that were around them say he's not. It's just about the shadows. They are the substance. The rules are, are the meat and the potatoes of the faith. And they'll point to our Bible, to the Old Testament, to, to make their point. And that's confusing. It's like having lifeguards, having the same set of rules posted around the pool but they just all blow their whistles at different times for different things. Not because they disagree that there are rules, but because they disagree on what the rules are there for. Are they there to simply kick people out, right, and keep some people in, or are the rules a fence? Are they an outline of what should be at the center? Like the, the purpose of the pool, which is to enjoy it. If, if our chief end is to glorify God, and to enjoy him forever. If the rules of the Bible can be summed up by loving the Lord and loving our neighbor, then the shadow that those rules cast, the outline, it looks a lot like Jesus. Because it is, right? Just because someone says that, though, or agrees with you when you say that, that doesn't mean that Jesus is what you get from them. Today, like Jewish voices about new moons, and all that stuff probably aren't very persuasive to you today or tempting in some ways. That's just a guess, right? Even though it is a thing for some Christians who have no Jewish like cultural background at all, never practiced feasts, never practiced other explicitly Jewish things in their life to start ad adopting Jewish things. And, and I know that this might include some of us, all right? So I'm not saying you can't do that or you shouldn't do that, but in the spirit of this letter and many of Paul's letters that, that warn against going back to the things of the law after we've come to Christ, I would just encourage you, if that's you, to just ask why. Like, 
Like, we don't need shadows if we've already got the substance. And so if that pertains to you in any way, I would just ask yourself what you would lose in putting that stuff back down that you don't already have in greater measure in Christ. That aside, like, chances are the most confusing and sometimes the most convincing counterfeit voices that we're going to hear are actually from people in the church. Other Christians or Christian-y people talking about Christian-y stuff, using the same Bible, talking about the same stories, quoting the same verses, maybe even with like rich, deep theology. They talk about Jesus. Some might have a, a big platform. Or, or maybe it's just somebody that you know that's been around Jesus for a while. And so there's some assumed credibility there. And at some point, they might talk about the rules of the pool and you suddenly find that the, the whistle is being blown on you, either called out personally right, or just guilt by association with the stuff that you do or the stuff that you believe. You can't do that and say that you follow Jesus. Real Christians only do this or will never do that. What do you do when judgment passes on to you? And so there's five questions, five things that you get to ask to sift through some of this stuff. The first thing is this, who's this person? (laughs) Like, you don't have to listen to every Christian voice. Give more weight to people who know you, to people that you know who know Jesus, right? And who have some kind of stake in your life. The person on the podcast or on TikTok or whatever, my guess is they probably don't know that you exist, right? Doesn't know your story, don't live in your city, don't attend your church, and you don't know what they're like off the air, probably. The person who made a a passing comment in the grocery store about stuff, not someone that you probably need to lose sleep over. But friends, like fellow church members, group leaders, pastors that you trust, you, you may want to listen to them. Who are these people? Who are they to Jesus? Who are they to you or to your church? It's healthy to prioritize the voices in your life. A second thing to ask, what's the nature of the concern? I just had to apologize to Kelly about this literally yesterday. Like parenting stuff, I turned my preference and personality into a rule. She didn't do a thing the way that I would do a thing. Can you imagine that? That never happens uh, anywhere. But, but instead of acknowledging it as a difference in approach, I moralized it. I made it a, a right or wrong thing and, and really like I was just wrong. Right, that was me. And so some people, maybe in your family, they might come at you with guns blazing over something that is not a sin issue. It's their conscience or their personal conviction that they're binding you with. Not every issue is a sin issue. Life is too complicated for that. The scriptures speak to so much more than that. It might be a maturity thing, like growing pains in some way. Maybe you just didn't know something. You're still learning stuff. Could be a wisdom thing. Or maybe, maybe on the flip side, it's actually a bigger deal than that person knows. Who knows, right? The reality is you get to sift the nature of the concern. Third thing is this, do they have a point? Again, people are allowed to confront you about stuff. Maybe they've made a fair observation of your life. Maybe they haven't, but our default shouldn't be like anyone with a critical word, they're wrong, right? And it also shouldn't be that like any critical word is right, (laughs) Right? We get to be humble enough to know that we have blind spots and wise enough to maybe ask some clarifying questions. And secondly, are there biblical legs to what they're talking about? Do they have a point biblically with what they're talking about? Or is this something that the, the Bible teaches? Right? Is it something that we draw from the scriptures? Or is it stuff that's been like tacked on to the Bible? 
I had a guy we like overlapped in lots of ministry circles do, do everything but like put his finger in my chest one night to warn me that my influence on younger dudes in particular was going to lead them astray, like away from the faith. But our come over and, and have a drink chat, which was really fun, uh, had nothing to do with Jesus had nothing to do with the gospel, had nothing to do with the Bible or theology, no concern about my character, the stuff that I preach, anything I've ever taught or counseled. It was about politics, social statistics. And look, I'm not saying that stuff doesn't matter, right? Our, our faith gets to shape those things. I'm just saying that when that stuff, anything that's like, that's usually just orbiting some subculture of Christianity somewhere, when that suddenly gets to use as ammunition against someone's faithfulness to the gospel, that is old religion, right? They might have a point, but it's not a point that the Lord is trying to make. The, the fifth thing is this, what's their goal? What is their point? Like, like, is it to help you see the sweetness of Jesus or just the horror of your sin? Are they wanting you to be conformed to the image of Christ or to the image of them? It doesn't really matter if someone's got like airtight theology, 100% like spot on assessment of, of you or your life. If what they're bringing to you is condemnation before God or before them, they have missed the point. Like there is no condemnation in Christ. That's the gospel. That's the reason why any of us would ever be eager to confess and to repent and to run back to Jesus and the church in the first place. Because when we do that, God is faithful to forgive us. And our relationship with God and other people is actually made more full. It's not torn apart. Now, sometimes people's goals are good in this stuff and we just hear something bad. That's a real thing. Like, that's on us. If, you, if you've got a voice that hears condemnation when the Spirit is just trying to bring conviction, then, then that's not on the other person. That's a, that's a you thing. It is easy, though, to let our flesh do the hearing. But here's the thing. Even if they were just trying to knock you down a peg, they were trying to condemn you. If they have a point, if there's some merit to that, you still got to deal with that. That's still a thing that you have to deal with. It just means you don't have to continue dealing with it with that person, right? Bring their judgment past the cross, preach the gospel to yourself, and find a few good lifeguards to help you sort that out. If it's actually from Jesus, then the substance of the whistleblows will actually be the grace and the goodness and the power of Jesus to save, not the significance of like Jesus-y, Christian-y things and shadows and how far we've fallen short. Not everything is from Jesus just because it sounds Christian. Next point. Let's read the next couple verses here. This is uh, 18 and 19. He says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head for whom, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Second point this morning, it's not from Jesus just because it seems spiritual. Uh, our kids, they have got the greatest crossing guard on the planet. Like someone else charged with keeping our kids safe. She, she keeps her post 
the entire time that she's supposed to. She pushes the crosswalk button a million times, does she not? When the, right, the light turns red, immediately she's here pushing it to make sure that the kids get the walk signal the next time that the light changes. She leads the way into a busy road and she is not afraid to put herself in harm's way. Every day she recounts some like war story of the day before of some truck that like almost hit her in the intersection. But that's because she goes out of her way to make sure folks know they've crossed the line. <laughs> they shouldn't do that anymore. And she also crosses a few lines uh, in the process. I've seen her take her handheld stop sign and like chase after cars and take swings at them when they run a red light. I'm not kidding. I've watched it happen. Like I've seen her chase them down for a bit on foot. She's like the Captain America of Main Street. That's what she's like. <laughs> She'll be all over cars if they block the crosswalk or, or block the sidewalk tap on the window, like get after him about stuff or whatever. She goes above and beyond in ways that as a parent, I have no doubt that my kids will cross the street safely. But as a concerned citizen, I have no idea if she ever will, right? I don't know if I'm going to see her the next day, right? Good intentions, great intentions, right? Good results, but some lines crossed, ironically, by a crossing guard who's supposed to keep kids in the lines. On the other side of old religion is new spirituality, they had to look out for that and learn to sift it out. Just like not letting people pass judgment on us, it is our job to not let people disqualify us in here. There were a lot of pagan religions uh, in the city of Colossae, specifically these things called mystery cults, like kind of like Scientology in some way. There were like these cults that were shrouded in secrecy. They had these initiation rites and there were levels of membership that could like qualify you for deeper spiritual truths and things. And it was all very mysterious. And it was even more mysterious because like they, they pushed these personal spiritual experiences, visions and, and trances and interacting with the spiritual realm in a way that like no one can really test or confirm or whatever. It was all just very mysterious, very confusing, and, and maybe alluring. Like if you're somebody who's maybe discontent with the way that things are, you feel stagnant, like you're not growing in the faith in some way, or God feels far away and distant, or maybe you're just a very curious person, and you're like, oh, sounds cool, right? I follow Jesus. I'm a spiritual person. Like, why wouldn't I want more of that stuff? Except not everything spiritual is a good thing. Like just because it's spiritual doesn't mean it's good. There is no morally neutral spirituality. It is either team Jesus or it's not. It's good or it's evil. There's, there's spiritual stuff that is evil, not just impersonal forces or things, right? There are living, active, scheming, personal beings who have rebelled against God and are operating in ways that we don't even see or get who would love to pull one over on us with things that seem fine, harmless, maybe even helpful in some ways. For those who did the Philippians study this summer, or who just remembers maybe the story from Acts, Paul uh, and Silas, they were walking around uh, Philippi, the city of Philippi one day, and they were followed by a slave girl who, who made her owners like a ton of money by telling fortunes. And she followed them around for a while, uh, yelling from behind like, hey, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. That's what she said over and over again behind Paul and Silas as they were walking around. And all that was true. And presumably she made her owners a lot of money because like the stuff that she said was true. The fortune she told came to pass. But do you know who was doing that? A demon that Paul eventually cast out because 
he was tired of hearing her yell behind him all the time, right? And her owners were ticked because without that demon, she could not tell the future, couldn't make them a nickel. There are examples of this stuff all over the Bible. Like the, the Bible speaks to all kinds of supernatural things and has categories for the kinds of spirituality that we see today. New age stuff, witchcraft stuff, the, the shops that line Main Street, shops at Bridgewater, right? Events that happen that get sold out here in Hamilton should be aware of it. Like that stuff is here and just because it's counterfeit doesn't mean there's no power behind it or that it's not dangerous. Like could Jesus really care less? If I buy a crystal, has a tag on it that says it's going to heal me. And not, what could it hurt? It's a rock. I just want to know if I'm going to meet somebody or, or if this medicine's going to work or if this is ever going to happen. What harm is it to chat with a fortune teller? Or it's just a tarot card reading, whatever. It's a deck of cards. I'll take it with a grain of salt. I just want to hear from my relative who's, who's passed. I just want some closure in that. Like this stuff isn't in some third category of spiritual things that are neutral. This stuff is banned by the Lord in scripture, not because he's mean. He's not trying to like keep anything from you, but because it's not from him, the, the good guy. It's not from him. These are not spiritual gifts. This is not the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the church to build up the church in Christ. If there's any power behind this stuff, it's demonic. It's showing up in helpful, unassuming ways, quietly undermining your confidence and your full dependence on Jesus. None of that is an exaggeration. They want you to feel qualified to access the things, the secret things of God by someone other than God. They want you to grow, but not with a growth that comes from God. They want you to grow in another direction and growth that shows up in places it's not supposed to, in ways it's not supposed to, it's cancerous. Even if right now you feel fine. Be wary of anything that offers you some qualified access to deeper spiritual things. In chapter one of Colossians, Paul, I think knowing he was talking about this stuff, already said that the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You don't need to cross lines that God's drawn to be where the Lord wants you to be or to have what the Lord wants you to have. Good intentions will not keep you safe from evil things when you open yourself up to anything. So there are three things to be wary of if someone is offering you some special qualified access to the things of God. First one is this, be wary of spiritual extremes. Asceticism, that's a weird word that Paul used. It's a fancy word for keeping yourself uh, from indulging or taking pleasure in things. It's cutting yourself off from enjoying stuff, right? Super self-discipline, all day, every day, everything, no cheat days or whatever. People thought that living that way, that would prepare your body for spiritual experiences, put you more in tune with the spiritual world. But uh, as Kelly said, and actually we were chatting about this text a couple weeks ago, just because it's extreme doesn't make it holy. Extreme things aren't necessarily holy things. Your budget, your schedule, your lifestyle, reading plans, extreme living on either side of the spectrum doesn't make you more or less qualified in the church or in Christ. In fact, overindulging or like self-deprivation are evidence of maybe people who don't think that they're qualified in Christ. Second thing to be wary of is this, spiritual experiences, people pushing these things. You don't need to see angels, right? Or witness miracles or take a trip to the Holy Land. 
hear the audible voice of God, take some Caleb cruise, right? You don't need to do that for you to be qualified for life in Christ or to validate that you are qualified to live with and be with God. Anyone pushing experiences as a means to growth or maturity or knowledge or qualification for greater service in some way, they have it backwards. Growth, maturity, knowledge, serving, all those things are already spiritual. And the spirit can use those to produce other spiritual things if he wants to. Everywhere you go, everything that you do because the Holy Spirit is living inside you is already a spiritual experience. You don't need to buy into that false False uh, sale of goods. The third thing to be wary of is this, just spiritual extras. There might be some things that the Lord has, hasn't revealed to you. There might be things that you don't get, you're, you don't understand, you want some reassurance in. And sometimes we can go seeking out stuff beyond the Lord when it feels like he's being quiet. Because hey, at least it's something. But whatever add-ons someone might want you to, to bundle with Jesus, it's a loss. Because even if the words that you hear are true or, or what you get was helpful, if it was beyond the Lord, who was it from? And if it's not of the Lord, why would you ever think that they would be for you? Do you think that the Father, who already qualified you for full inheritance in his kingdom, think he might have a good reason for the way that he's doing things in your life? Even if you don't get it, like, do, do you trust that he's not keeping something from you? He's not overlooking you, that you don't have to, like, get his attention. Say the secret password to get him or to get him to care or to grow you in some way. You don't need to go outside of the Lord to get more of him. It's not from Jesus just because it sounds spiritual. But from Jesus, we are knit together and we are nourished head to toe every member of his body, that he died to make live with him, qualified for every good thing. Move on to our third point this morning. If you would look at the last few verses of our passage. This is 2, 20 through 23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still living uh, or were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, don't taste, don't touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Point three is this, and this is kind of what we're wrapping up with today too, is that it's not from Jesus just because it gets results. Did you notice the, the shift that Paul takes here? It's not, it's not let no one pass judgment on you. Let, let no one disqualify you. It's now, if you know that all this stuff is bogus, if, if the part of you that used to rely on all this stuff to make something of yourself is dead and you've been made alive in Christ, then why are you living now already as if these powerless counterfeit things, these rules, these extreme measures matter? If you know that you're not supposed to accept that stuff then why are you already taking it to the bank, acting like it has value? I found out uh, just a few days ago, talking with Kelly about sermon stuff, that like the overzealous lifeguard, he actually lifeguards the way that he does because he's had some pretty horrifying experiences in the water with people. Not staying underwater more than five seconds, not a silly rule. 
a way to try and make sure no one stays underwater longer than they actually should. An overcorrection? Probably. Understandable? Absolutely. Effective? Yeah. To a point. You probably have a lot fewer scares in the pool when, when people barely stay under the water, right? That, that rule, I'm sure, yields results, but the rule can only go so far. It can manage people's behavior, but that's not the real problem. The real problem is that people can die. And no rule that we've ever made has ever broken death. Paul says that you and I, we approach our life with Jesus the same way that he approaches lifeguarding. With, with every good intention, we rely on what we can manage, on what we can hold together, what fear and our flesh tell us not to let out of our control, not to let go of. And we forget the very nature of what it is that we are dealing with in this life. With a little discipline, you can, you can implement stuff that yields Christian-y results all day long. Some content filters on your phone, apps that track every penny that you spend, limits on your screen time, diets, accountability in groups or group studies or group chats, reading plans. You could be decked out, signed up, chained to like all the things that will outline your life in the shape of a neat Christian man or woman. But inside the lines... At the center, there can be absolutely no enjoyment of Jesus there. You're just a shadow because the substance of your faith has become just all this stuff that you're doing, which misses the point of why we're doing it in the first place. That's not why anyone comes to Jesus or stays with Jesus. The nature of what we're dealing with in our walk with Jesus in life in general requires that we submit to something. There is so much outside of our control so much that we cannot see, that we cannot change, even about ourselves. And so it requires that we submit to something, put our hope, put our trust, our joy in something. And pragmatism, when our faith becomes about getting results, that's what happens when we've already submitted ourselves to counterfeit Christianity and it feels like it's working. It feels like it's paying off. Like we find a steady set of qualifications that we can meet or standards, rules that we can follow. And it does have the appearance of wisdom, but it is self-made. It's counterfeit Christianity that we have printed and we are using. The biggest giveaway that it's fake is that you can do all of that stuff. If that's all there is, you can do all of that without relying on Jesus one iota. So Paul's leaving us this morning with this question. What parts of your life are you, ready, or are you already submitting to something other than Jesus to make you feel like you've passed judgment, right? Or to make you feel like you're qualified, that you feel like you're working and something's happening and God's working in your life because the regulations, right, that you think can give you freedom today, they will judge you tomorrow. The spiritual stuff that you think that make you feel qualified today will make you feel disqualified tomorrow. That's the power that you're giving those things. Counterfeit stuff, regulations, they don't love you back, right? They don't have grace for you. And, and they are powerless to kill sin. The stuff that's in here, much less defeat death. But Jesus, but Jesus does all those things. He made the rules. He kept the rules. And when he did, he defeated sin, and he did break death. Stuff that no rules in and of themselves could ever do. And we get to submit 
to him. We get to submit to what he already did and what he is still doing because he didn't just love us back. He didn't do that. He actually loved us first and his grace never ends. Don't submit to the judgments and disqualifications and false hopes of false gospels. Reject their false rejection. Reject their false acceptance when you seem to get results and submit to the one who took our judgment, who qualified us before God and gives us a sure hope based on the results of his life and his death and his resurrection. And we get to embody that right now by responding to what he has done for us. Man, you guys can come on up. I wanna invite you to ask yourself the question that Paul is pressing on us. Where are you already submitting to things other than Jesus to make you feel qualified or to make you feel like you're passing judgment? Where are you needing to, to reject rejection or reject the acceptance of false things here and turn that over to the Lord? You can do that in lots of ways. There'll be some questions up here on the screen to help you think through some stuff if you want here with the Lord on your own. Uh, I'll be back by the wall. Um, there'll be a couple other people back there by that red tree. Would love to pray with you. Would love to pray for you. If you have stuff stirring about this passage, about life, about Jesus, we would love to chat and to pray. And for those of us who are in Christ this morning, like we invite you to, to take communion. You can, you can taste and touch this stuff up here. Jesus wants you to enjoy him. You get to celebrate what he has done for you. Reflect on what he might be stirring in you this morning. Repent if you need to. Reconcile relationships that maybe need reconciled. Do the work that he is stirring in you. And then you get to come up and partake in the, the bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken for you and the juice that represents the blood that was shed for you. You get to take that and rejoice and celebrate in the fact that God has qualified you. He has taken away all of your judgment and in him you have all of the treasures, all of the spiritual inheritance you could possibly ever have. So take a few minutes, reflect, respond. You can join the band and sing and whatever you want to do this morning, but respond accordingly.